This week on Thinking Biblically, we're going to be looking at Purim, the festival of Esther, and we're going to have a very special guest from the ancient past help us with that. Welcome back to Thinking Biblically. My name is Alan Gilman. Thinking Biblically is a podcast dedicated to exploring how all of Scripture speaks to all of life. This week we're going to be looking at the Jewish holiday of Purim, uh, but be before we get into that, I'd like to remind everyone to please subscribe if you haven't done so already. Please feel free to share the audio or the video version of this podcast. Please review and comment. You can also email me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. Purim begins this year on Thursday, March the 17th. It actually begins the evening before, as all Jewish holidays do, because in on the Jewish calendar, the day begins when the sun goes down. Uh, Purim is one of the what are called the minor festivals or minor feasts. Uh, the, the major feasts are the ones that are found in the books of Moses, and the minor feasts and fasts um, are those that are derived from the rest of Scripture, as Purim is, or other things in, in Jewish uh, history, such as uh, Hanukkah. Hanukkah is one of the minor festivals. And there are some differences in terms of certain observances that have to do with major feasts and minor feasts, but we're not going to get into that now because I want to focus specifically on, on Purim. Purim is, we could probably think of it as the happiest of all the holidays, and it's mainly because of the great turning of the tables that happen, that hap happen in the original story that we're going to be looking at. It's commemorated through carnivals and plays and, and costume parties. Um, one of the the main treat that's eaten is called a homentaschen, and there's some controversy as to what homentaschen actually means. You'll often hear them referred to as Haman's ears. Haman is the villain of the, the story of Purim, and we'll hear more about him in a little while. Um, Haman's ears, Haman's pockets. But it might actually be a word to describe the pastry itself, because the word mun in Yiddish is poppy seed, and the traditional filling of the homentaschen is poppy seeds. Um, then eventually through Jewish history, prunes became one of the fillings. Today, you could find just about anything inside this pastry pocket called a homentaschen. Our favorites here at home, my wife makes uh, two varieties, uh, both um, regular um, gluten and non-gluten varieties of uh, honey and walnut. And my favorite, which might be many of yours, is chocolate. Um, and so uh, before, uh, what, actually what I want to do is, is to provide some reflections on the story, but first we need to become more familiar with the story. I know some of you, you're already very familiar. If you've never read the Book of Esther, it's quite short. I encourage you to do so. It's pretty easy to do in one sitting. It's a, it's a wonderful story with some interesting peculiarities, which I'll mention as well later on. Um, but uh, in order to tell the story, provide an overview of the story, um, what we're gonna do is last year, uh, some of you know I did a 20-week uh, Old Testament course called Unleashing the Old Testament. And so uh, when we got to looking at the, the looking at this festival, and we did it at the time of Purim, um, my son Daniel was the host of the of the course. He did the introductions, he helped me with the the QA at the end of each class. And uh, so what you're going to see is he interviews. Mordecai, 
And so that's what we're going to do. I'm, we're going to replay that for you. It's only about 20 minutes long, and um, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Please give a warm digital welcome to one of the key characters of the Festival of Turin from the Book of Esther, Mordecai himself. Mordecai, welcome. Oh, I don't what what is going on here? I don't understand. I've read through uh, the the historical book of Esther, and I, I noticed as I was reading that uh, that you, how do you how, excuse me, how do you know Esther? She's my cousin. Uh, right, I her your story is recorded in, in the Bible, actually. Bible, it's beautiful. What? What's the Bible? Mordecai, you should register for Unleashing the Old Testament. It will take you through the Old whole story. Testament. I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> uh, Mordecai, my understanding is your cousin Esther was an orphan, and you took her under your wing. You raised her as your own, and then and then she ends up being taken by by the the king. Uh, okay. What was it no, like? No, 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 not taken. She won a beauty contest. It was my it was my idea. What was it emotionally like for you? I can only imagine what it's like to have a child go off to to school for the first time. What's it like? What was it like for you to have to ha, kind of let go of of being able to take well, care of that? What's what's your name again? My name is Daniel. Daniel, like the great Jewish prophet of Persia. Oh. Literally for him. Oh, oh, okay. I'm finding this very, very emotional because we, so we're all getting ready to celebrate this, this story and you want me. I don't even know how this stuff works, but oh, let, me, let me think here. Okay, so what happened was the, uh, the, the, the king of, of, of Persia, you know, where, you know Persia? I've read about it. Yeah, it, I think they call it Iran, Iran. I don't know where he ran, but that's what they call it. So in Persia, in Persia uh, there was this king. We called him Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. I think in this thing, what you call Bible. Some Bibles, yeah. they have Xerxes with an X. It's very strange to me, but it's Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. It's easy to say. And so uh, he, had an, he had a queen. He had a queen. Her name was Vashti. And, and he asked Vashti to come and show off her beauty. To all his friends, he was having this banquet that lasted like forever. And uh, she didn't want to come. She actually said no. It was a scandal. So they got rid of her. She was deposed. Kaput. And uh, eventually he wanted another queen. So they decided to have something, you call it a beauty contest, to check out all the beautiful maidens in the kingdom. And so I had an idea that that... Her name in Hebrew, his name's Hadassah. Hadassah, but you know, it's Esther. Esther, and so she enrolled in this in this in this contest, and wouldn't you know it, she won. So hmm. I, I said it was my idea. Like she couldn't let. Like I was, like, was I supposed to take care of her my whole life? Like you know, I was. I'm old. I'm way older now, but I was pretty old back then too. Fair enough. Uh, now, did she was she did she let her identity know be known as? Uh, Are her... you kidding? Are you kidding? That she would never been. I don't think she'd ever get, be taken by the king if she knew that she if he knew that she was Jewish. I said, you know, shh, shh, don't tell anybody. I, I won't tell anybody. No, no, um, you could tell. She was supposed tell. to tell. 
I appreciate that. We're we're past that stage already. We're going back. Mordecai, I have a question for you. As as I read through your story, you and Esther, your cousin, I I noticed that there's a a villain, uh, Haman. Well, don't say that name. Don't say that name. In fact, we... Since then, we make sure if anybody says his name, we must blot out that name. And we actually have these, these things that are called graders. I can see somebody's already getting into it in, in what do you call it, the hat? It says hat um, on my screen, hat. In the hat, they, they, somebody already went, boo, that's what we do. We stamp on the feet whenever that despicable character. Oh, I'm getting yeah. carried away. I get very emotional. And back where I come from, we're all emotional. This country you're in, it's like everybody, they're like, what do you call them? Stoics with this stiff upper lip. But where I come from, we emote. And so anyway, um, so this guy, you want to, you want me to tell you about this despicable person? I have a specific question. He seems, he seems to really hate you or he seems to really hate you. Kind of. It, well, he had a reason. Why, Why did he, why did he hate you so much? Okay. So what happened was. At some point, don't know why, this guy, Haman, um, he, sorry, Haman, he uh, got promoted to second in command in the, in the whole kingdom. And one of his perks was he, uh, whenever he went by, whenever he came by, everybody had to bow down. But I would not bow down. Not because... Why would yeah, what? Sorry? Why wouldn't you bow to him? Uh, because he was a descendant of a whole other despicable group called the Amalekites. The Amalekites. They tried to stop us from going to the promised land hundreds of years before my story and Esther's story. And so I, I, I could not show respect to this descendant of the Amalekites. But it made him so angry that not only did he want to get rid of me, he went to the king and said, without telling him why, because that's how these, these some of these political types work. Have you ever met political types, Danielle? A few. Yeah, you, you know how they could be sometimes. And so yeah. he goes and he says, there's a people out there, they, they don't obey your laws, they're different, and we can't allow anybody who's different. I don't know if he talked like that. I, I wasn't there for the conversation. But this is, and he told him, let's make a law. And in this law, we're going to destroy all the Jewish people in, in, in Persia. And they settled on a date by uh, throwing it was dice or lots or this sort of thing. And the word for, for one of these is a poor. And uh, many of them is purim. I don't want to give away the end of the story, but this is a very important word in the story. And that's how the date got, got set. And then, and then they posted notices everywhere that on that day, anybody could kill Jews. So were we in trouble? Yeah. Now, I, I am. Uh, that's extremely traumatic to, to hear and to experience. Um, but I, I'm understanding is that, that the name that shall not be named, that he had one plan for all the Jewish people, but he had a specific nefarious plan for how to hurt you. Oh, what was yeah, that? because yeah, things have to get worse before they get better. And so uh, he has his, he's got his plots and his plans to do this thing. And I, I hear about it. 
And uh, I, I'm trying to get word to Esther to do something about it, but you're not asking about that yet. So we'll just wait. So at some That's point, it. he's passing by. Um, things are going really well. Oh, yeah, I think I remember. This is, Esther has to come into this. By this time, Esther has agreed to go to the king to plead on behalf of our people. She's willing to make herself known because we're in big, big trouble. She was too afraid to go because you have to be summoned to the king. And if he, when you appear in his court, if he doesn't hold out his scepter, I almost call it his magic scepter. I thought it was magic. If he has to hold out his scepter, and if he doesn't hold out his scepter, you're dead meat. And so um, Esther was afraid to go. I don't blame the poor kid. Of course, many people would be. But anyway, I pressed upon her that every, uh, we're all going to die. And, and they're going to find out who you are eventually. And you're going you're gonna to be killed too. And if you don't help, God will help us some other way. So she goes. The king holds out his scepter. And she makes her request. You'll never guess what she asks for. You probably thought, God, uh, a king, please save our people. No. Come to a banquet. Mm. So he agrees to go to the banquet. And who else is invited but that despicable guy? And so when he, it go, he gets to go, and at, this, at the banquet, Esther asked them to come to a banquet the next day. They love to eat in Persia. There's a lot of places in the world they love to eat because the food must have been really, really good. And so um, Haman was so excited that, and happy about being part of this private banquet thing with the king and the queen. And he was so happy. Then he, but then he saw me on his way home. And he was so angry. Like, as you call that, uh, triggered, triggered. He was, I triggered him. Not with a gun. I triggered him. He had this emotional meltdown, I think you people call it. And so he goes home and he's all in a tizzy. And his wife said, hey, I got an idea for you, hubby. Something like that. It, it was in Persian they were talking. And I'm, so I'm translating as best I can. And people like you, Danielle, could understand. And so uh, she, uh, she suggests, why don't you make this gigantic gallows? Like, hi, hi, hi. Um, it, I think I know it's some big thing, and and hang that Mordecai me on the gallows. Oh, what a great idea! And so he goes off. This this gets really good. I love this part. He, he he ends up going to ask the king for permission to do the gallows to kill me. But in the meantime, the king was had been sleep trying to sleep. He couldn't sleep, and so he asked for his annals to be brought to him. I guess that's the best way to fall asleep is to listen to your annals being read to you. You define what the annals are. It doesn't sound very nice. Annals, they're writings, like writings of oh, historical yeah. matters. I don't. Don't you have a degree in history, Danielle? You know about annals. This is about me right now. It's about you, Mordecai. Okay. Annals. Anyway, so he discovers there a story, another story about me. Years before all this happened with Esther, I heard about a plot against the king and God's word to them, and they got rid of those bad guys. And then it was written in the annals. And so they're reading his annals, and he discovers, he hears the story of me, and he goes, have I ever honored this Mordecai fellow? They said, no, king, you never did. Hmm, what should I do? Who's out? Who's out there um, that I could ask? And Haman was out there because he wanted to ask about me being hanged. And so he asked Haman to come in 
And he says, what should I do to uh, honor the, the person the king wants to honor? And Haman thinks it's himself. And so he says, get your best horse and, and a, a special ring and, 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 and special clothes and have somebody march him through the city saying, this is what's done to the person the king wants to honor. And so the king says to Haman, excuse me, he says, great idea. Go do it for Mordecai. If there was music in this story, it'd be very, you know, doo-doo kind of thing, you know? And so off he goes and he feels, oh, this is, uh, this is not good. He goes home and tells, remember the wife had the idea for the gallows? He goes home and tells her what happened. And she says, oh, if this is the way it's supposed to go, you're in big trouble, husband. Like, Why didn't she think, think of that earlier? And off he goes to that other banquet. What was the question you were asking? Hey, you answered it and gave us a little more. It's fantastic. I get carried away. I don't often no, get to do good. this. Tell us, I want to back up a little bit. And um, how, when, 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 when Esther discovered, like, we'll back up quite a bit. When the announcement was made uh, about the day that the, all the Jewish people would get killed. Um, Esther, I believe I heard that Esther's servants found you. Uh, what were you doing when they found you? This is a trick question. No, it's it's. I read about. I doing, they found me. They, they found, found as I lost. No, uh, in my reading of it, though, it's been a, a bit of time uh, since I read your story. I believe you were in sackcloth and ashes. Is that right? Oh, and I know. I think I know why you love that part. But <laughs> let's not get too personal here. Oh, you want me to tell about how much I was wailing and wailing yeah. in sackcloth and ashes, mourning because of the horrible thing that's happening. But that's earlier on in the story. That's how, Ed, and, and then Esther, she hears I'm in sackcloth and she wants me to put on regular clothes and all that kind of stuff. And that's how she finds out all the bad stuff that's happening. Mm -hmm. so that's what you wanted me to say. Sure, no, I'm just, I'm interested, I'm personally interested in the various ways that you took action or reacted to the various parts of the story. So here you're in sackcloth and ashes, you're wailing. Um, then when your cousin, Esther, went uh, to ask the king for permission, I believe you were doing something at the same time that she was asking for permission. What were oh. you doing then? Ah, oh, well, she she made a request that everybody should fast on her behalf that, so that things would go well. And so I would have been fasting with everybody mm. else. But then you guys didn't leave it simply at fasting. You took more action. Um, when, so we almost got that part of the story. When, when Esther ends up having the second banquet and she, the king asked her what she, why she was doing these banquets, what she wants and what was her reply and, and to finish the story from there. Could you for us? Well, so at the second banquet, the king asks again, what do you want up to half my kingdom? Which I love that. I love like these kings, half my kingdom. Okay. I'll take half the kingdom. Anyway. So, um, he puts out the offer and she says, my people are, are, are in great trouble and they're be in their great danger. And the king went, well, who, who would do this? And she points out that wicked Haman. And the king is so upset. And he goes out of the room because he's so upset. And Haman throws himself at Esther, pleading for mercy, that despicable man. And then the king comes back, he sees Haman at his wife like that, and he gets even more upset. And then he thinks, let's put him, let's hang him on the gallows that he meant for Mordecai. 
Well, I'm not too sure if there's something else. That's a, these are really juicy parts of the story here. Really juicy parts of the story for sure. And so, and yeah. After, oh, oh, but then after that, um, we pleaded with the king to reverse his the the law that he made that we should be killed on that on that day. But wouldn't you know it? And again, you you know you know politics and and and, and that sort of thing. But in in Persia at that time, when they made a law, it could not be revoked. It could not be taken back. What, I, don't, I don't understand the laws, you know, these kind of laws. But they were allowed to make another law in addition to the first law. And so what they made a law, and, and we and Esther and 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 I got to to formulate this law was that our people would be allowed to defend ourselves on that day. So the day that was meant for our destruction ended up becoming a great victory to the point that many of the Persians became Jews. Because wow. they saw that tables had turned, and we were able to, uh, we won a great victory, and we decided, Esther and I again, to declare that on the day of Purim, which the day that was supposed to be for our destruction, but became a day of victory, we were to celebrate every year by giving food to the poor and 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 having a great and having a great and wonderful time. In fact, one of the traditions in the history of our people for Purim is to put on plays and to do act out the story in different ways and children and not just children will wear costumes. So uh, every year, the most, the most popular costume for boys is to become me. And you could figure out the rest for the girls who they oh, like to be. Well, we're gonna we're gonna let people ask questions in a few minutes. Um, so before we get there, do you have one final anything you want to say? Ah, uh, well, there's this one. I just I want to boast about my, my cousin Esther. It's not just because I brought her up. Hopefully, I had an influence. But the the part of the story where she knew how dangerous it would be for her to face the king like she did. And yeah, I impressed upon her how important it was, but it was her decision to put her life on the line, not just for her people, but for God's people to decide that even if I would, and she says this, I think it's written in, 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 in the book where she says, I will do this. And if I die, I die. And it seems to me that in those scriptures, in our beloved writings, this, this is a principle that we need to be willing to do whatever God wants us to do, even if it means we're going, it means we might die. Most of the time, people don't die when they think they're going to die. Most of my life, I thought I was going to, you know, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And I know a lot of people like that, and we don't end up dying. But we need to be able to face the most difficult of situations if we're actually going to make the kind of difference that God wants us to make in the world. And Esther is a great example of that. Thank you, Mordecai. Growing up, my dad told me your story uh, vividly. And uh, I I just, I he would be so happy if he got the chance to, that I get right now to say on his behalf, on my behalf, on behalf of Jewish people throughout the centuries of time, thank you for your courage. Thank you for helping um, coach Esther and how to handle the situation first discreetly and then with such courage and uh, being part of God's solution to the evil that almost distorted people. So um, if, if my dad could just have the opportunity to say thank you, I'm sure he would 
he would express his heart for you. So thank you so much for your time. and have I'll a great- give him my regards. And Daniel, thank you for being such a gracious host. And may you be like the great Daniel of Persia. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel and Mordecai. And uh, what I'd like to do now is provide some reflections on, on the, the story. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed, and, and I've been with the way things have been happening in, in the world uh, with the, the past two years with, with COVID, we're now seeing the, the, this great conflict with Russia and Ukraine, and, and we all pray that there'll be peace and that this sort of thing will will settle down but i don't know where things are going there's a there's a there's a lot of rumblings in the world today and we've seen here in, in canada uh we, a few weeks ago uh, i did a, a thinking biblically i interviewed uh dr douglas farrow and we looked at the freedom convoy and and the 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 tension that we've seen here in uh, in our very polite Canada, um, is 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 deeply concerning me, and it's made me uh, question how I've viewed our faith, how I understand the Bible, uh, not so much what the Bible means, but the implications of the Bible, and and how does the Bible speak to our lives today? I've realized how relatively easy we've had life at the same time i've kind of wondered if perhaps we've been ignoring some of the the some of the things in our society maybe we haven't taken the kind of stand as followers of the messiah that maybe we should have in the past several decades that's not so much the point right right now there's some important questions that I think we need to to ask and and answer with regard to uh, the the state of the world in which we're living and and so I think the story the story of Esther has a lot to teach us. One of the things we see is how quickly things change for the people of God in 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 the story of Esther. The people were already living in in exile. By this time there may have been many Jewish people that are returned to the land of Israel, but it would have been a minority. There was a great number of Jewish people throughout the Persian Empire at this time in the capital of Shushan or Susa. Um, and, and that already is a, is a tension for people seeking to live a godly life in the midst of an ungodly society. But look how precarious that society was, that in an instant you have somebody promoted to a high position that person gets offended and the next thing you know there's a decree setting a date to annihilate all the jewish people and and so you know we often think that if bad serious bad things are going to happen we're going to see the tell telltale signs over a long period of time and we could be prepared to know what to do but it's not like that. I, I don't know what it was like for the people of Ukraine. I know there was a lot of saber rattling and, and we were hearing that Russia was getting ready at, at to, to attack. I Maybe some of you know, maybe you know people, maybe you yourself were there, I don't know. And it's people, I'm sure people know, but, but it's, an, it's another thing too. Often when we, see, even if we see the telltale signs of trouble happening, us humans, we have a tendency to, to ignore those things. Oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But 
we need to be more alert to understand the times in which we live. Now, if we missed some of those signs, it's too late. Maybe we could learn by looking back and seeing that maybe they were there. But whatever it is, here's, here's the thing for, for followers, true believers in the God of Israel, followers of the Messiah, we live we're, we're, we, we live in a, in a, a difficult place. It's, we, in this world that we live in that's been affected by sin and the curse, we already live in a place that's hostile towards God, towards, towards God's word, towards God's people. And yet we often pretend if that's not true until some major disaster happens. Until then, we, we tend to deny it. And I, and whether the difficult times we're going through today will subside in the near future, I don't know if it's just going to get worse or if it's going to get a little better or seem to get better and then get worse, I don't know. But the Bible warns us over and over again that we live in a hostile environment and it's about time for myself and, and all of us that we begin to learn to navigate that hostile environment better. We, we, need, to be, we need to be more with it. And that's one of the things I see about Mordecai. Mordecai was with it. He was, when, when he overheard in the early part of the story, he overheard about this plot to assassinate the king. He, he, he wasn't just a, a bystander. He, he heard what was going on. He thought, I need to do something about this. And I really wonder how many times we, you and I have been in situations where that moment, well, here's, you no, know, often, I, often we're not even paying attention enough to wonder maybe we should do something about it. And we need to be more alert. The second thing is it's not just good enough to be alert because a lot of us, we're sensitive to what's going on and we react, whether we get afraid or we get angry, got to do something, got to do something. But what we do can often make things worse than whatever problem it is that we're noticing that's going on. And I just want to stop for a second here. When we talk about this hostility, there's a situation that Mordecai and Esther were in where the entire Jewish people were going to be affected by this decree of this evil man, Haman. Boo, Haman. That, that's, a, that's a big one. And there's some big things happening in the world today. But how do you learn? How do you and I learn to deal with the big ones? We learn to deal with the big ones by dealing with the small ones. The, the issues that we run into in our homes, at our school, in our congregations, at our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, wherever we might be. You know, one the, when the great lines in the book of Esther is um, about how Esther was put in the, a, a position for such a time as this. We could just talk about that. that for such a time as this, like where are you right now where, when God might be calling you to do a particular thing because of, of your position, your place, whatever it might be, or simply what you're noticing. And I was, I was giving this some thought the other day, and, and sometimes those things are very personal. Like for such a time as this, maybe we need to deal with some personal issues in our lives where God wants to, to bring about personal transformation. And this is the time. Are, are we alert enough 
And often, you know, some of the personal things happen. We interact with our loved ones, our wives, our children, our bosses, our coworkers, our, our friends. Something happens and we, we get triggered or we trigger them. Um, are we paying attention? Often God wants to use some of those situations so that we will become more godly, that we would turn to him in the way that we should. And if we develop a habit of being sensitive to how God is using our personal situations in in our own personal lives, then maybe we'll be more alert to deal with some of the bigger things. Some of us, only we won't want to deal with big things. We don't want to deal with the smaller things and the personal things. But if we don't deal with the personal things, we're not going to be able to deal effectively with the big things. And then, and back again to this thing, like some of us are sensitive and we're reactive and we, we see issues and we want to address them, but do we address them in a wise way? It's not good enough simply to react. It's not good enough just to, we got to do something. That often might make us feel good, but are we doing the thing that God wants us to do? Now, we hear a lot about wisdom. Wisdom. Read the book of Proverbs. Wisdom. Um, that's the, the Hebrew word chachma, is wisdom. There's another word. It's a lot harder to translate. It's sechel. And sechel is something that we're really lacking. And, and this is something that I'd love to talk about in more detail another time. But sechel is something that King David had before he was king, while he was king. It's, it, sechel is smarts. Maybe it, we could translate it shrewd. It's that ability to know the right kind of strategy. It's related to wisdom. Wisdom is, is a skill that takes what is good and right and knows how to apply it in day-to-day life. But sechel is a little more than that. It's this real smart shrewdness that knows how to navigate the world effectively. And that's what Mordecai had. Mordecai was able to size up the societal situation and understand what the best strategy would be to resolve the problem. We need sechel. So I, what I want to do is I, I want to look at a short passage from the, the book of Esther. I want to read Esther 4 verses 12 to 17. I call this the, the pivot section of the book. This is after um, Mordecai encourages Esther to do something about the situation, and Esther sends a word back to Mordecai that that you can't just go. It's actually against the law to approach the king without being invited. He might hold out his golden scepter, and then you're fine. Otherwise, you could be executed. And so, she gets the request to go talk to the king, but the king hasn't the king hasn't summoned me in a long time. I, it's against it's against the rules. It's against the law for me just to go. So you're going to understand. You're going to understand because we're supposed to play by the rules, right? So let's see what this says. Esther 4, verses 12 to 17. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you will not come to the kingdom. Sorry, I read that wrong. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, 
gather all the Jews to be found in Susa or Shushan, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So first notice Mordecai's response. I've already talked about his sechel, his, his, his shrewdness that he had, his understanding of strategy, and he knew not only what needed to be done, but he knew what to say to Esther and, and encouraged, and, and encouraged uh, her to deal effectively with the situation anyway. And notice what he says. He understands something about, about, about life, about godliness, about evil, and explains to her that don't think that just because you're a queen that you're going to get off. Like, so you're saying, I can't do this, it's the law, and so I'm, you're going to understand that I'm not going to talk to the king until, I, until I'm summoned. And he said, do you really think that's going to save you? Do you? Don't you understand what's really going on here, Esther? Through this decree, you're going to, you're, you're going to end up being killed too. Uh, also notice Mordecai's trust in God, which is, and there's something interesting about this. He understands that God is for the Jewish people. However this thing is going to work out, somehow, some way, God is going to save the day for the Jewish people. But whether or not Esther and Mordecai and the others are going to be part of that that relief that God would send, that's that was up to Esther. And often I've noticed that people think that if you know if we're connected to God, he's just going to do what he's going to do and somehow we're going to be included with it. And maybe in the long run, we believe in Yeshua, we're going to be okay. Maybe in the long run, I'm not too sh- exactly sure how all that works, because if we're not really listening to Him, if we're not really doing His will, if we are ignoring the Lord, ignoring His Word, do we really know Him? There, there's some major questions here. But, but let's not confuse how God works with nations and how God wants to work with individuals. And so, Esther, if you want to be part of the solution that God's bringing for his people, you need to get involved. You cannot watch this from afar um, because it might be bad news for you in the end if, if you're just going to do the safe thing. And so, this is not to undermine Esther's courage here. Now, first of all, it seems she was afraid that she could be killed if she just goes and approaches the king. Now, it took prodding on Mordecai's part to show her, maybe you're not as safe as you thought you were. So, there might be some self-focus here, but there's also a reality check involved. And so, once she's better to understand, she's willing to do the difficult thing. And she says something that that is so key in understanding what it means to truly follow the Lord. And it's when she says... I'm going to do this thing, and if I die, I die. She realized that being a godly person necessarily meant facing the possibility of death in order to do the good, godly, right thing. 
Now, this is this is something that Yeshua himself taught. And um, I'm going to mention him. And then what, what's, what happened in, is, as I was preparing this, as I realized that what Esther accepted, accepting that to truly do God's will meant reckoning with the possibility of dying as a result of doing his will, is actually a theme all the way through the Bible. And it's something that is, is summarized by what Yeshua taught. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Then Yeshua told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Yeshua teaches that it's only by this thing taking up our cross, which I'm going to explain in a moment, following him, that we by doing that is the only way to truly find life. Now, a lot of people think, and maybe I've commented this on Thinking Biblically, I do comment this whenever I get the, the chance, because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about this. When we think of this idea, take up our crosses, very often, people think of it in terms of the great difficulty it is in following the Lord. It's so hard. People misunderstand you. They may make fun of you. They might reject you. Making decisions. We can't just party along with everybody else. We need to make, we have to say no to certain things. That could be so hard and it's a difficult, you know, and then, and as I, you know, I've been trying to, to follow him more and read my Bible more and I'm getting pressure within my own family and that's so hard. And at school, it's so hard. And what a cross I have to bear. It's so hard to follow the Lord. But I'm going to take up my cross anyway, because I'm told I have to. I don't think that's what taking up your cross really is. Taking up your cross is being willing to carry your, around your execution stake. That's what a cross was. It was being willing to follow God wherever He leads us, even if it might kill us. He says, Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I got it here on the road, I put it on this, put it, printed it on this paper here. Cannot be. Yeah, I, I tend to sometimes make light of things that are really heavy, maybe because they're really heavy. Cannot be. Yeshua said, "Cannot whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is heavy-duty stuff. Are we willing to be like Esther? I'll go do the hard thing, and if I die, I die? Or are we going to look for ways to, well, it's, not, it's against the rules. You're going to expect me to do it. It's against the rules. So one of the things I've been discovering is how much in the Bible people go against the rules. Now, I've, I've talked about this at length before. We are to honor and respect and even obey governing authorities as much as possible. We should not have an attitude, a dismissal, a dismissive attitude and disrespectful attitude to those who are in authority in our congregations, in our families, in our, in our countries, in, in our regions. We need to respect governing authorities and obey them until they clash 
with obedience to the Lord. And, And that's where we get the idea of limited government under God. And so when God is calling us to do that which authorities don't like, we're often called to put our lives on the line, our rep- reputation on the line, our jobs on the line, our, re- our relationships on the line. All of this is forms of taking up our crosses, willing to face the difficult thing, the rejection, the persecution, the misunderstanding, the, 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 the mockery, and possibly even, even having to die. And as I said, this is not new with Esther, and it's certainly not uh, not novel with with Yeshua and his followers. Um, Abel didn't know that doing the right thing was going to provoke jealousy from his brother, and he'd be killed by his brother, who who was ticked off because God approved his brother's sacrifice and not his own. Um, we have. You know, Noah, it was a little different situation. If they didn't do what God said, they were all going to die too. Life and death. Either you do God's will or you're finished in that case. A Moses going to Pharaoh like he did, entering to Pharaoh and making a demand like that, he was risking his life. And every time he went back, he was risking his life. And he was saying that Pharaoh had to do something he didn't want to do and, and God actually twists his arm and and even when he said they could go, he tried to bring them back. And, and so much for obeying the authority. That there's a time when God says, we're going this way, and it doesn't matter what the governing authorities say. If, but we've got to make sure we're following God's lead. But following God's lead can get us killed. But if we're not willing to face that possibility, according to Yeshua, we cannot be his disciple and we will not know real life. In order to know real life, as we need to go against the grain of the society in which we live, we need to be willing to give up our life in order to do God's will, which is actually the good and godly thing for everyone. Even though authorities, they start to get, they start to get anxious when, when people are standing up for what is good and true. And often there is pushback from the society in all sorts of ways, and people end up going to jail. In the end, God wins. And in the very end, God wins. So do we want to be on that winning team with Him, doing His will, and making a difference in people's lives as as people are rescued from the oppression that is coming from the mob, from the so-called friends, maybe from the, the governing authorities, wherever it's coming from? How do we find freedom to actually live life in a good and godly, wonderful, fruitful, truly prosperous way? It's when we're freed to face the possible consequences of death. And so so that's the true essence of, of what it means to follow the Lord. So one more thing before we end today. A very interesting and unique aspect of the book of Esther is it's the only book in the Bible that has no explicit mention of God. We don't have the Lord. We don't have His name stated. We don't have God, the word God. So Adonai, Elohim, not mentioned in the book of Esther. When Esther asks uh, for spiritual support, before she goes and faces the king, she asks for a fast 
Notice she doesn't say pray and fast, which would, would have been the more normal thing to say. Uh, but here it's simply fast. And so we don't know why there's no explicit mention of, of God or praying in the entire book of Esther. But one of the things that, before I say that, even though God's not mentioned, he is so present in the story. He is all over the story. The motives, the, the turning of the tables, God is so involved, even though he's not explicitly mentioned. So, what's the lesson here? Well, we live in a society where more and more, believing in God's just not cool. You can't really bring up God at class. You can't really bring up God. You can't bring up God in uh, our houses of of of, of governance. Um, some places still have opening prayer, but but God's deemed as, as irrelevant. He's deemed as as actually oppressive, even though He's the one who is the true liberator of all people. And yet, it's more and more He's not welcome. Leave him out, and if you, if 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 he matters to you, you keep that to yourself. That's, this is what the the uh, dynamics of a secular society where the things of God are separated from the rest of society. So God's for home, God's for your religious services, God's for your heart. But please don't bring him to the party. He's not welcome, and so. God has become more and more absent. Um, I was talking to one of my uh, one of my sons recently, and I think it was about older movies. Um, I think it was older a, a TV show from just uh, not that long ago. And there was these biblical references. And if you watch older movies, you see how uh, there's there's allusions and explicit mentions of of God and Bible stories and and uh, Bible phrases and this sort of thing. That was so much a part of life. And but now. God doesn't seem to be in the story any longer. <laughs> oh boy, but is he ever? And is he ever for the Mordecais, especially? You know, without Mordecai, Esther wouldn't have been alerted to the, to, the, to the problems, and it was through Mordecai that she was spurred on to do the godly thing. But there are, there are Mordecais, and God wants more Mordecais, the people that really know what's going on and they know the Lord, and through them, God's not absent. And that's the kind of person that I want to be. And I want to invite all of you too. Uh, God is so present, even though we're not hearing about him that much, he's still so present. And if we seek him, and if we listen to him, and if we live out what he's calling us to do, even if it kills us, we're going to see him work in magnificent, miraculous ways. And so, let me remind you again, please subscribe. Let other people know about this podcast through social media. Send them an email. Call them on the phone and tell them. I'd love to hear from you. Email me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. And so, until next time, this is Alan Gilman and Mordecai. Happy Purim, everyone. Mm -hmm.